0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition taped today on Monday, April. Just kidding. Today is Monday, (laughs) July 31st, 2017. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is Dan Kaplinger, personal finance guru. How's it going, Dan?
1: I'm doing good, but it's a Monday, definitely, Gabby.
0: It's definitely a Monday. I thought it was also a Monday in April, but it's definitely July. Just in case anyone's wondering, it's definitely July. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you happen to be listening to this in April, and then maybe it's April. I don't know. But like right now, in the second that I'm taping it, it is July. Um, <laughs> so uh, today we are going to be talking about, um, I guess, what you would term personal finance schemes. I think that's what you would call them. Um, it's just stuff that you shouldn't fall for that maybe someone in the personal finance space is going to try and sell you. Um, and I think that the first one that I want to start with is annuities because I don't think a lot of people understand annuities, but I think a lot of people are told that they need an annuity. Dan, can you give a basic explanation of what an annuity is?
1: Well, it's, it's actually harder than you would think to give a basic explanation of what an annuity is. Exactly. And that's a big part of the problem, because, <laughs> because it's, it's huge. If you have ever tried to look at the fine print on a standard annuity contract, it's dozens if not hundreds of pages long often, and it's full of It's even worse than usual. You know, like like most of that fine print you'd never be able to read anyway. But with annuities, it's particularly obtuse because there's so many of these com- complex financial aspects to the way that an annuity works. And it's sad because at its core level, what an annuity should be is what one particular type of annuity actually is. And that's the, my favorite kind of annuity is an immediate annuity. And basically the way that works is really simple. You give the annuity company an amount of money upfront and they promise to give you back a certain amount of, of money every month or every year for the rest of your life. And so if you live longer than expected, then you're gonna end up being the winner. The insurance company's gonna pay you more back than you paid in up front. If you live less time than, you, than the life expectancy tables say, then the insurance company wins. And the insurance company makes a profit by setting things up so that all other things being equal, it's, it weighs, it works out in their favor modestly with an immediate annuity. Based on what they pay you and what you pay upfront for the premium. So that's sort of the simplest aspect, but things can really kind of get more complicated from there. And in general, the the less you understand what your annuity salesperson is talking about, the more concerned you should be about what they're doing for you.
0: Definitely. I feel like with annuities, it's it's basically exactly what you described. It's a gamble. Um, and like most gambling, you shouldn't bet against the house. Generally, you know. Like- yeah, I
1: mean, I mean, there's the, the the where things get really complicated is that the there are favorable tax rules that apply to life insurance products, which include both regular life insurance policies and annuity contracts that are offered by life insurance companies, and so there actually are some potentially attractive things about annuities. The income inside an annuity can grow on a tax-deferred basis until you take the money out of the annuity, at which point you're gonna get taxed on it. But you know there are also some negatives. Uh, if you take money out of an annuity early and you don't qualify for one of the exceptions, then there's a 10% penalty Uh, that applies, you know, the same sort of thing that you would get from an IRA distribution, um, a penalty that can apply for taking that money out early. In addition, probably one of the most uh, painful things about a lot of annuities is what's called a surrender charge. And that's basically, if you try to end, you know, a lot of people are familiar with, with, if you try to take a certificate of deposit out from a bank, if you try to take the money back before the end, and you'll pay this early withdrawal penalty, and it's a few months worth of interest. But with annuities, this surrender charge, is basically the same thing. It can be huge, it can be like as much as 10% if you change your mind really quickly up front. And that's just such a huge fee to pay. Add that just to the generally high expenses and the generally low understandability factor as far as how they work and what your options are, and, you know, a lot of time it's just not worth the effort.
0: And I think that there's also, like, restrictions when it comes to inheritance when it with annuities as well, right? Because some people well, purchase them and think that they can pass them on to someone, and, and you can, but it gets complicated, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an insurance product, so you have to make sure that you understand what the death benefit aspects of the particular annuity are. Um, with immediate annuities, a lot of the time... If you don't, well, if you don't set things up so that it allows a spouse or another family member to keep getting annuity payments after you pass away, then a lot of immediate annuities stop paying as soon as you pass away. And so, like you said up front with the gamble aspect, if you buy an an immediate annuity and then three months later you pass away, Yeah, you got three monthly payments, three pretty small monthly payments back out of a relatively large premium payment, you're going to end up the big loser. Now, insurance companies will be aware of that risk and will offer you these extra provisions called riders that try to address that risk. But there's always a cost with any provision that the insurance company adds into it. And so... You know, you might get an extra benefit, but your monthly payment might be smaller, or you might not get as high of an interest rate. There's usually a trade-off there, but it's not always obvious. So it's important to ask a lot of questions if you're just insistent that you really want to look at annuities. Ask lots of questions, make sure you get good answers um, so you can feel comfortable that you understand what this thing's gonna do and how, like what steps you have to do to make sure it does what you want when you want it
0: done. Yeah, and generally the more complicated it is, the the more likely it is that you should stay away from it. Are are there any good reasons for someone to want an annuity? Like maybe I think that I could see it maybe working out for someone who's really worried that they're going to spend all of like they got a lump sum payment from something and they're worried about spending it all at once. Like would that be a good reason to potentially consider an annuity or what do you think? Yeah, I mean,
1: use, using using a piece of a retirement nest egg to buy an immediate annuity actually can make a decent amount of sense because annuities are really one of the only products that offer protection from uh, the risk of you outliving your money. And so, you know, it's like, it, it, again, it kind of comes back to that gambling aspect. If you want to protect yourself from potentially having a much longer retirement than you expected, then having an immediate annuity can be almost as good as, you know, the money that you get from Social Security every month because you know that that annuity is going to pay out month in, month out for as long as you live, even if you live a lot longer than anybody ever expected up front. So it can be useful. It's just that a lot of, you know, and, and I mean these things vary from company to company as well. Some some providers are better about keeping things simple. Others are really interested in building out of these gimmicky product like promises that, you know, that that it becomes much more difficult to, to crack into exactly how the annuity achieves that and what the net cost is of implementing that strategy. A lot of the time, you can do the same sort of thing that an annuity does um, outside with other types of products that aren't as expensive. Really, the only thing that th- that is that's particularly useful with the annuity is that mortality issue of being able to protect against longevity and the risk of outliving your money.
0: Okay, that is a lot to th- think about. I think a lot of people don't like to think about dying. Um, so, this next topic is definitely not for you because <laughs> we're yeah. going to talk about life insurance. Um, and I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks back, uh, but I think that a lot of people think that they need life insurance when they potentially don't really. Like, there's all those commercials on TV that are like, are you under 35, and you don't smoke, and whatever, and your life insurance will be so cheap through us. But the reality is that a lot of people, A, get life insurance through their work, and not everyone needs life insurance. For example, I don't need any life insurance beyond what my work already automatically offers me, because I have no one to really give the money to who is relying on me to support them. I have no children, I have no significant other, I don't own a house, nothing. Basically, if I die, I die alone in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the end is nigh. Embrace the oblivion. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah. So, what? What do you? Um, what insights? What pearls of wisdom can you grant us about life insurance, Dan?
1: Well, look, you know, I mean, there's no one size fits all rule for life insurance because, I mean, basically, the reason that you want to have life insurance is that there's some reason out there that you want to make sure that if you pass away unexpectedly, that somebody gets a chunk of money that they can use to do whatever it is you have in mind for what they're supposed to do with it. So, you know, the most common example where people do life insurance is when they start a family and they want to make sure that if something happens to them, then their loved ones are going to have the money that they need to replace basically what everything that you would have earned in the period of time that you're raising that family so that your loved ones don't have to freak out and try to figure out how to make ends meet without the income that you would have been able to contribute to the family. So, you know, most insurance needs really kind of boil down to that kind of metric, and it's just what is important to you that matters. You know, if, if for instance, you decided that you wanted to make sure that your good work buddy Dan was able to take <laughs> a vacation for a month to get over your loss if you passed away, <laughs> then you could, you know, go ahead, buy a, buy a $25,000 life insurance policy, make <laughs> me the beneficiary, and you know, I will, I will grieve in style.
0: That sounds um, like a hella good vacation that you have planned out there on, on and, my and imminent and I'm demise. Not
1: gonna, <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you that that that's not the right thing for you to do because that's that's your personal decision, and <laughs> life insurance could help make that work. But if you don't have a need for anybody to get money after your death, you know, like you said you don't have a family, you don't have anybody depending on you, um, you don't have a bunch of outstanding debts that won't get taken care of automatically if you die, then yeah, then the need for life insurance is a lot less.
0: Yeah, and there's there's a couple of different types of life insurance. This is the other thing, is that there's there's term life insurance, which basically you buy a policy that lasts a certain amount of time, so like 30 years or something like that. That's a, that's a pretty common term. Um, and then when the 30 years runs out, and if you haven't died, then no one gets the money. But then there's also this thing called whole life insurance, um, which you might be more familiar with in terms of Like people trying to actually sell it to you actively, because in theory it can be used as an investment vehicle. But again, much like the annuities, it gets really complicated really fast, and there's all these fees associated with taking money out of it. And you can take money out of it, but it it just gets so complicated.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's whole life, there's universal life, there's a lot of different life insurance products that are basically put a life insurance envelope around what you could get generally with some other kind of investment outside of the life insurance context. Like we were talking about a few minutes ago, one reason to do that is that life insurance products get a tax deferral benefit that other types of investments don't. Um, A lot of life insurance uh, professionals will build up that aspect of it. In my opinion, you're generally better off using regular investments in a tax favored retirement account like an IRA or a 401k and then if you know if if you're making enough money that you're able to max out an IRA max out a 401k you know then maybe you can start looking at whether the added costs of investing through a life insurance vehicle um, make up for you know, the tax benefits that you can get. But uh, but it does get complicated in a hurry. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you can get, again, if the primary goal is to make sure that whoever you need to have money after your death gets that money, then a term life insurance policy can get that job done, and you can figure out, you know, you were talking about, um, lengths of time, you can get insurance policies that'll you know, have a guaranteed premium for 10 years, or 15 years, or 20 years. Doesn't mean you have to stop the policy after that period goes by. It just means that at that later point, the insurance company can then raise your premium up to reflect the fact that you're older, and that the your That's- risk of death has has gone up accordingly, but uh, but term life gives you the flexibility to decide how long you need the protection and when it and it, it's a, it has a very easy exit strategy when you don't need the protection anymore you just stop paying the premiums and the thing goes away.
0: Yeah, and it's a whole heck of a lot cheaper than whole life. But anyway, let's talk about our next thing, um, which could or could not involve death, depending on how badly you drive, which is rental car insurance. Um, I'm assuming most people who have attempted to rent a car have been asked, like, do you want rental car insurance? And they panic and they say yes. But you don't necessarily need to say yes to them. A lot of credit cards actually carry um, carry rental car insurance on them. And if you pay for the car, the rental car with that credit card, then in theory you should be covered. Like you obviously need to check your credit card's terms to make sure that your rental car coverage, insurance coverage is covered in full, but there's a lot of benefits to using using the credit card to to cover your rental car insurance, including that if you get into an accident, generally you don't even have to report it to your insurance company. It's just taken care of by the credit card company, which means your premiums don't go up with your insurance company.
1: Right. And that's, I mean, you know, that's one of the sales pitches that the rental car companies will make in when they try to sell you that insurance is that, you know, if you don't have it. And like you're saying, you don't have this this supplemental insurance through a credit card company. Um, then you're gonna have to talk to your own car insurance. And even if it covers it, then, you know, you're likely to see a premium increase. Wouldn't you really rather pay 19.95 a day? to avoid all that hassle and just go through our folks and call it a day. And, you know, I think that, that one way that a lot of those companies uh, are able to sell that insurance is that if you're a business traveler and you are traveling on an expense account for your company, then you almost have no, you know, there's no incentive not to take it because, you know, you're protecting yourself personally using the company's money. And so I think they get a lot of revenue that way. Um, But like you said, as long as you've checked with your credit card company, know exactly what kind of coverage it offers and are comfortable taking on whatever that risk might be, because there can be risks. I mean, not every credit card company Gives you dollar one coverage, where you know you're not going to be out some money if you have an accident. Some are going to charge you a deductible. Some are going to charge you some sort of co-insurance amount. And and, uh, and so the, some the credit them, card insurance might not be as good. Yeah, and but, some of
0: them even um, won't cover like personal liability stuff. So that's another right. thing to to look out for. Like maybe they'll cover actual damages to the car, but like they won't. Protect you from having to pay out a hundred thousand dollars for driving recklessly,
1: but that's important to know too. When you're, you know, if if you buy the insurance from the rental car company, you know, like if you buy the full coverage, then yeah, you remember you initial all of these lines, and like each line is talking about each of those types of coverage. And so you know, like one line might be the personal liability, the other might be repairing the car if something happens to it. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time the car companies will also offer you, well, you know, you don't want to pay 1995. Well, okay, what if you just get this other coverage? It's only $8 a day. Um, you might get that thinking, well, at least I'm a little bit covered, only to find out that like the thing that you thought it was protecting you from, it has nothing to do with, and you just wasted that money and didn't get the protection that you thought you were getting.
0: yeah. So Basically, what it comes down to, much like annuities and life insurance, is to read the fine print. Luckily, with rental car insurance, there's not quite as much fine print as there is with the other two. And to be educated about what kind of stuff you already have through your credit card company or even potentially through your own auto insurance. But like we said, if you use your own auto insurance for the rental car, then you know your premiums might go up. Um, the last thing we want to talk about doesn't have to do with death. Lucky for us, (laughs) we'll end on a high note. We're going to talk about load mutual funds, which I don't know that a lot of people even know what these are anymore, but just in case you have an unscrupulous personal finance person trying to help you, quote unquote, help you out in your life, um, let's talk a little bit about load mutual funds. Um, A load mutual fund is Basically a mutual fund that comes with a commission for the person who sold it to you. And if that sounds fishy, that's because it is.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really quite it's really just as simple as that. And you know, it's the the problem with these load mutual funds isn't so much that there's an advisor who's getting paid because you know, financial advisors do work for you, and so it makes sense that they should get paid somehow. But uh, but the way it's done is less transparent than it would be if the guy just handed you a bill and said, okay, hey, I've helped you out here, and this is what I'm going to charge you for my help, and then everybody could feel much more comfortable about it. You know, the, the way that the load Mutual Fund works is that, they charge an upfront amount, and it comes out of the money that you invest. And so if you have $1,000 to invest, and you use a load fund, um, say it has a 5% sales load on it, then $950 will go into the investment, and $50 will go to the investment professional who sold it to you. And you know, from then on out, You know, you will spend the first period of time getting yourself back up to the thousand that you started out with, and only then, after that, will you start earning returns for yourself. Um, And the big issue is that there are so many mutual funds out there that don't have these loads that it seems like a shame to go with one that does. Um, But again, a lot of investment professionals, and I mean, there's nothing really unscrupulous about it, in the sense that, again, you know, it's it's the way that they make sure that they can get compensated for the work that they're doing, but you know, it, it just doesn't have it doesn't have the right flavor in terms of being upfront about exactly where this money goes, and then it's coming out of your pocket and going into the investment advisor's pocket and it never gets invested in in the first place. It's sort of a behind-the-scenes way of doing that, rather than just being upfront and doing that transparently um, and in full view.
0: Yeah. And like you said, there's a ton of mutual funds that are no-load now. Um, and It's really easy to find those, because somewhere on their prospectus it says, no-load mutual fund. Um, the other thing is that there's so many ETFs and index funds now that, again, they have they have fees associated with like the management, but mutual funds do too. And you don't have to pay a load fee for any of them. You just pay whatever the initial fee is to buy the the shares of it, and that's it.
1: Yeah, you know? I mean, you'd think that load funds might have lower expense ratios because um, they are able to pay these commission costs upfront. But a lot of the time, it's the funds that charge the loads that also have these high annual expenses going forward as well and like you say with uh, you know with index funds and exchange traded funds that will you know that'll that'll give you the same investment exposure for you know sometimes like a tenth of what you would pay in annual expenses for just a regular active mutual actively managed mutual fund you really have to ask yourself if it's really worth it to have this particular fund, with this particular investment professional, over just using a an ETF, a simple ETF or index fund.
0: Yes. So I think that pretty much wraps up the show. I think in conclusion, what I can say that we've learned is that we should embrace the void and understand that we will die soon, um, <laughs> and make better decisions based on on where we are in our lives. Make sure that you do your homework. Make sure that you really think about. What you're doing? Um, I think that those are the the general messages of today's show. What do you think, Dan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I just want to give one little shout out because it's important to understand. I mean, all of these products that we talked about today. We talked about annuities. We talked about the life insurance. You know, even the even the rental insurance and the and, and the mutual funds. I mean, you know the the people who are working with these products often really believe very strongly in the products and in and there are situations in which they work really well for people that things turn out perfectly well in part because they use these products and if they hadn't used these products then it would have worked out not as well for them so like we're not saying that these products never work. It's just that on the whole they tend to be more problematic than you would expect and they aren't as useful as in every case as people seem to make it out to be. And so I just want to make make that very clear because you know like like it's not that these products shouldn't exist. It's just that They aren't as useful for general purposes as you would think from the way that they're often portrayed.
0: That's actually a really good reminder, and I'm really glad you said that. Um, On that note, uh, thank you everyone for joining us. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear and or personal finance advice. Um, contact us at Industry Focus or by tweeting us at MFIndustryFocus to talk about whatever you want. I run the Industry Focus Twitter now, so I am happy to chat with you via Twitter, because I am learning how to do that. Uh, Thank you to Austin, today's excellent producer. Austin, are you going to buy whole life insurance for you and your puppy?
1: I'm not. I think my puppy will do just fine. (laughs) Okay, fair
0: enough. And thank you to everyone for joining us. Everyone have a great week.